0: We're in Revelation chapter 3 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to there. Uh, We are wrapping up our series entitled Timeless. We've been in this for, this is the seventh week, and what we've been doing is studying the seven letters written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And today we get to letter number seven written to the church of Laodicea. And the Church of Laodicea was unlike any of the other churches in a couple different ways. Uh, They were the most abundant or affluent. They were rich. It is spoken into the letter, he said, you you guys are rich. There's another church that was poor. And the church that was poor, nothing bad was said about them. The church that is rich, Laodicea, nothing good is said about them. I'll get there in a second. The other thing about the church in Laodicea uh, is that nothing good is said about them at all. In in fact, this letter is kind of harsh at the beginning. And so if I sound a little harsh At the beginning, I'm just trying to be true to the text. But it doesn't end harsh. It ends really loving. It ends with a lot of hope. And so I want to walk you through the verses this morning. Uh, More than any other of the letters, uh, really, the the easiest and best way to teach this is just to simply walk through the verses. Um, Because I think in the verses, you'll see the different things that Jesus wanted us to see. The message here being, what does Jesus say to the church that has it all? There's no opposition, there's no persecution. The synagogue of Satan, which is referenced in a couple of the other letters, isn't present. There's no bad doctrine. But this church has grown complacent. Remember that this letter is written to Christians, it's written to a church. It's not written to non-Christians. Therefore, the words are not written to non-Christians. And so if you find yourself not in Christ this morning, the tone of harshness that you might hear isn't really directed to you. The instruction to you is simple. God loves you. <laughs> Step into relationship with him. This is a letter of correction written to people who are already in Christ, who are already professing faith in Christ. And the invitation to the end is to that group as well. So what does Jesus say to the church that has it all, to the people that have it all? He tells them to be stirred from their complacency. This is how he says it. Let me show you his words. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. How many hot coffee drinkers are out there? Just straight, hot, and black. Nothing mixed up in it. Good work. Okay, Those are the saints. How many of you drink your coffee with ice in it? Okay, You're not horrible, but you're weird. How many of you... We'll get a nice thing of hot coffee in the morning and then still be drinking it at 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. when it is nasty and warm. Anyone want to admit to this? Okay, those are the freaks. Stay away from them. You've probably had that moment where you've taken the sip of coffee and you spit it out. Jesus says, This is how I feel about the church or the Christian that is caught up into the complacency that he's going to talk about in a moment. Like coffee, both hot coffee and cold coffee can be good. Cold coffee is refreshing in the summer. Hot coffee is healing in the winter. The church in Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, from a worldly perspective, they had it all except for one thing. They did not have a source of good water. And so the town of Laodicea, and therefore the church of Laodicea, had to receive their water from other places. A few miles north, there were some hot springs. And the hot springs would bring hot water into the towns along the way. But by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, no longer useful or helpful. Not for healing purposes or sanitation purposes. In the other direction, there was Colossae, which had cold water. And cold water would flow from Colossae down into Laodicea. But along the way, it would grow contaminated. And so by the time water got to Laodicea, the hot water had become lukewarm and the cold water had become contaminated. When Jesus says, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold, what he is saying is you are as useless as lukewarm water or as pointless as contaminated water. When Jesus says, I know your works, he is saying you are pointless. There's no meaning to you. Your your church, or you as a church, or you as a Christian, you've become so contaminated, or you've become so useless that there's nothing good for you to accomplish. Is that another way? There's no differentiation between you and the world. What's the point of your Christianity? See, both cold and hot are good, the message not here is that we all want to become like hot in our faith. The message here is that we are to become useful followers of jesus We're to have a purpose in our Christianity, and that requires a different a differentiation from the world he's saying that there's a, a tendency for, for for the Christian who was once uh, um useful to slip into being lukewarm. Or on the other side, there is, there, there's a temptation of complacency for, for the Christian who was once like this, the, the, this cold water in the face that just refreshed you to become contaminated by the world. And Jesus is saying, I wish you were one or the other still. I, I wish you were still that like refreshing source of energy that shows up and just brings the joy of the Lord into a place. Or he says, I, I wish you were like others who, who, who were like a healing presence when you showed up. But you've grown lukewarm or you've grown contaminated. And Jesus says, with the lukewarm or the contaminated, I just would spit it out. It's useless. It's, it's pointless. Now, Jesus gives us hints on how it is that this comes to be in the next two verses. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's calling out this church or, and therefore Christians uh, on a complete inability to see themselves accurately. Jesus is looking and he's saying, you see yourself like this, but you don't see yourselves right. The truth is this, that without seeing ourselves accurately, we can never see Christ correctly. This church Jesus is saying, you think you're rich? (laughs) you're actually spiritually impoverished. You think you're fancy in what you wear? You're naked. You think you see what life is really all about? You are blind. You can't see anything. Jesus is looking at this church that is sunk into this time of complacency, and he's saying, in your complacency, you have created like this false identity of who you really are. But I, Jesus says, see right through it. And he calls them out on it. Now, in the way that Jesus calls them out on it, he's doing it in two different ways. The first thing that he's doing is he is affronting their cultural bias, See, this letter is specifically written to the church of Laodicea. And the uh, things that Jesus brings up are specific to this city. This town of Laodicea is known for three types of industry. Banking, textile or fashion, and medical. Riches, health or medication, and clothing. And so the city that has it all because of these three industries, it is easy for any Laodicean to think, yeah, I'm rich, yeah, I've got good clothing, and yeah, we have the most medically advanced technology, the self, for the eyes. Of course, we can see. People actually come to Laodicea so that they can become rich, so that they can buy clothing, so that their vision can be restored. Jesus is, is, is affronting their cultural bias. He's doing it in such a way uh, that would, of course, hit any one of them. These are cultural phrases that would have made sense. Let me try to help us out here. This would like be saying to a young person in today's culture, like, hey, young person, you, th- you think you're woke and you know everything? You don't even know how to buy your own car insurance. Jesus is saying, nope. You think something, but it's not true. Hey, person with so many friends on social media, you think you're so well connected, you don't have a single person to call when you really need it. Hey, Christian, you think you understand sacrifice? You lose your faith when you can't find a parking spot. Jesus is calling them out. Laodicea, as I said earlier, was labeled rich and no commendation was given them. Smyrna, they were called poor and no condemnation was spoken to them. Jesus is bringing up the question, which one would you rather be? Would you rather have all the riches of the world and no spiritual wealth? or all the things of Christ, and nothing of this world? Let me ask, which one would you rather be? Really, which one would you rather have? All of the riches of the world, and none of the things of Christ? Or all of the things of Christ, and none of the things of the world? So, Jesus points out three things here that are pulling them into this complacency. And as he's doing it, the second thing he's doing is he's, he's pointing uh, to the spiritual over the physical. See, what the church of Laodicea is really guilty of is they uh, are simply living a physical existence, a worldly existence, without any spiritual understanding. And the way they're living that worldly existence, they're saying, makes them spiritually okay. And so Jesus is going to point past the things of the world that are building their identity to spiritual realities. He does this first. And well, let me just read verse 18 to you again. He says, I counsel you to buy for me three things, gold refined by fire so that you may be rich or truly rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and self to anoint your eyes so that you may see again as a reminder. He's saying to Laodiceans, you're poor. They're saying, no, we're not. We've got all the money in the world. You're naked. Are you kidding me? Look at my fit. Isn't that how the kids say it now? Somebody said that to me the other day. They're like, nice fit. And I was like, I really don't know what you're saying right now. Then they explained it to me and I felt very cool. The third thing, saying, so that you may see, and they would say, whoa, 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 people come to this city so that they might see. What do you mean we can't see? Jesus says, why don't you buy these things from me? By the way, these three things that Jesus says you ought to buy from me are also three things that he promised to give to the other churches. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, you church that has all this money, that has all of this stuff, that has everything, but oh, you have nothing that really matters, why don't you take all of that stuff that you have and why don't you cash in your chips for what really matters? And see, of course, we know that we can't buy the good things of God. They're a gift, It's the grace of God. It's the only way, the grace of Christ, that we can get anything of spiritual value. We certainly can't obtain it, earn it, buy it on our own. The only way we can buy things from Christ is to receive things from him. And so Jesus is trying to push back the the, the physical reality that they have used to build their spiritual identity, and he's trying to point them to spiritual things the first is gold. He's saying, buy gold, but, but not the kind of gold that you think. Like, you're not trying to play some currency exchange game here to make more money. He's saying, no, get the gold that's refined by fire. And all through the scriptures, the gold that is refined by fire is godly character. Jesus is saying instead of pursuing wealth, which might make you or cause you to slip into spiritual complacency, instead of pursuing that, pursue godly character. Like if your pursuit of money has taken center stage over your pursuit of God, you need the refining gold. If your acquiring of money has it made you more generous, you need the refining gold. If you have a plan to grow more wealthy, but not a plan to grow in Christ, you need the refining gold. Jesus looks at his affluent church and he says, you have elevated wealth and you have downgraded godly character. Jesus doesn't despise wealth, but he certainly values godly character. So he's telling them, slip out of your complacency and care again about godly character, the true riches. Then he moves on. And he's saying to the church of Laodicea, like, y'all think you're super well-dressed, I wore a jacket this morning, by the way. Next week, I'm going to wear a t-shirt so none of you get any crazy ideas about how I'm going to be dressing. But the idea, and this is pretty prevalent in our culture, and it was there, that we build an identity often. And the idea of clothing in the scripture is the identity that we're wearing. And some of us really do have some kind of identity and wrapped up in the way we, we dress. I'm the fancy person or I'm the person who always wears sweatpants or I'm the whatever it might be. And sometimes it is actually wrapped up in our clothing. Like we all remember being in high school and we had to wear this brand or that brand or whatever it might be. But more so than that, it's Jesus saying, You've you've clothed yourself in identity other than me. You've clothed clothed yourself in the identity of your appearance. You've clothed yourself in the identity of your accomplishments, uh, in the identity of the person that you're with, uh, in the identity of your career or or your income. You've clothed yourself in a false identity. And when I say that, what I mean is you're deriving your value as a person on that thing that you're now wearing. And it's the thing that you need everyone to know about you. Like, well, I'm the person who did this, or I'm the person who does that, or I work in this field. And the reason you need them to know that is because you think then they will associate value with you if you tell them what that thing is, because you're deriving your value from it. And they're clothed in this identity. And Jesus uses the metaphor of actual clothing to speak into the spiritual identity of wearing these. And so those are, uh, I will call those positive identities, although they're not anywhere near the true identity that we're supposed to wear in Christ. But then some of us also, we end up wearing negative identities. And negative identities are, are things like uh, the scarlet letter. If you don't know that reference, that's okay. Uh, the, the, the idea that, that, that you wear like, a, uh, like, like shame because you're the person who did this or you're the person who did that or you'll always just be blank. And we can often take on a negative identity on the person who failed, on the person who, I don't even need to say them out loud because you already know them. So we wear either a positive identity that, that makes us feel alive or we wear a negative value that just drives us into despair. And Jesus looks into to both identities and, and he's saying, you're wearing, the, you're wearing the wrong identity and I have a better one for you in Christ. To those who would wear the negative identity, he's saying, I want you to wear the identity of Christ's perfection so that you would be released from any shame, released from any guilt. You don't have to like wear an identity that defines you by your lowest moment or your biggest mistake or the error that everyone else would want to define you. Just wear the identity of Christ's perfection. But these... This church has slipped into complacency by the wearing of the false identity. Thirdly, the third thing that is um, 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 bringing them into complacency is they have this idea that they see life correctly, that, that their perspective and their view is right. And, and Jesus says, man, you, you think you can see? You think you see everything right but you're blind, you need the self. Like, if you have great vision of where your business is going, but you have no idea where your heart is headed, you need the new vision. Like, if you can watch every game on TV and never miss one, but you can't see that your child is in desperate need of your attention, you need the self like, if you can see that your account is rising, but you can't see that your marriage is failing, you've got the wrong vision. And he's saying these three things, bad vision, the wrong clothing or identity, the wrong pursuit of the, or the pursuit of the wrong type of gold, What it does is it just slips us into complacency. Maybe you find yourself in one of those this morning. The pursuit of wealth over character. Clothed in identity, whether positive or negative, that is other than Christ. Thinking you see everything right and you're missing what's most important. Where do we go from here? First, the first thing we do is we see the beauty of the gospel redeeming all of these things. See, Jesus spurned his wealth and status and was refined by the fire of the cross where he became impoverished so that you and I could have true riches. Jesus went to the cross utterly naked, losing his identity so that we could wear the identity of his righteousness. Jesus lost sight of the Father on the cross so that you and I could be filled with his spirit and be given spiritual eyes to see true reality. See, the gospel comes and Jesus becomes poor, naked, and blind so that you and I can be rich and clothed and can see. And Jesus knows that for the complacent church or the complacent Christian, that, that, that there has to be like a, a change agent to, to stir you, me, all of us from this complacency. To make it so that we would either be hot agents of healing or cold agents of refreshing again. So that the church might have meaning and purpose. So that you as a Christ follower might be accomplishing something because of this faith. And not just have slipped into this complacency. And that change agent is found in only one thing. The gospel The gospel is the change agent, both for those who are unsaved and cross the line of faith, and for those of us who are asleep in our faith. The gospel must wake us up again. We must see again our utter poverty and Jesus giving us his riches. We must see the nakedness of our shame, that no identity that we could ever build would ever truly cover us. But then Jesus on the cross gives us the clothes of his perfection. We must see how Christ was forsaken, forgotten, and unseen so that we would always be seen. And then this begins to stir the Christian heart again. And then to that person whose heart would 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 just turn back on Jesus speaks these words. He says those whom I love I reprove and discipline So be zealous and repent. What Jesus does here is he gives two invitations. Two invitations. And again, these are not invitations to evangelism. These are invitations to the Christian who has become complacent in any one of those three ways or I guess any other way. He's going to give two invitations. And the first invitation is receive reproval and repent. And Christ is pretty clear to make it known That his reproval, his correction, his discipline is out of love. He's saying, church that I love, Christian that I love, I don't want you asleep in your complacency. I want you to wake up. I'm not tallying your sin against you. Just repent and come back to me. And the overwhelming flow of scripture teaches us that Jesus, or, or the Father, reproves whom he loves. I used to coach a lot of sports and the the metaphor is true or the comparison is true that when a coach stops coaching an athlete he's given up on that kid or that athlete that a good coach will always correct the kid who he sees and knows can get better which means the presence of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart Over your complacency or even you being here this morning to hear preaching is a sign that God loves you and that he wants you back in full zeal, in full passion, in full heart, alive with the gospel. And I believe the repentance that he's calling this person to is not like, hey, I need you to go feel really bad about your sin. If you're in Christ, you probably already do. Like, I don't need to beat you up over your sin this morning. I don't need to tell you that you need to feel bad and that you need to cry and, and you need to act in penance and you need to work your way back because none of that is true. The repentance that he's talking about here is like, listen, repent that you allowed yourself to forget about my grace and to fall back into complacency and return to zeal. Re- return to the life that is, that is cold, that is refreshing, or that is hot, that is healing. That's the invitation, my friend. That's, my, that's the invitation to you this morning. If you've slipped into one of these, just step out of it. The second invitation is this, to reconnect to relationship. Jesus says it this way in this famous passage. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The second invitation is to reconnect your relationship. Christ can't open any doors for you like we talked about last week until complacent Christian you open one for him. He's knocking on the door of the of the heart the person who has slipped into complacency. Some of you can hear this knocking. Others of you, either because you're far away or just deaf, can't. Most of you can hear this. Hopefully everyone can hear that. For some of you, the faint knock of the door has been easy to ignore. And you've been in Christ for as long as you can remember. But you are neither cold nor hot. And you've slipped into the pursuit of wealth or the wearing of a false identity. And you're just sitting in it. What I want this morning to be is a really loud knock. That the 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 king of the universe, Jesus, is just like, he's standing right there, and he's knocking on the door, and he's like, just let me back in. And what he wants to do, it says, is he wants to eat with you. Now, if it was like, I stand at the door and knock and let me in so that I can beat you for your sin. I understand why you might keep the door shut. The other day somebody was knocking on our door and I went out, and it's obviously because of the environment that we live in, but there's this person sitting in like this like overcoat and like a big black mask on, like staring into my door in my house. And I was like, Am I supposed to open this door to this person? Like any other year other than 2020, I would never open the door. And I opened the door, and he's like, hi, I'm with Spectrum. And I was like, you look like you're going to kill me. If Jesus standing on the other side of the door was scary, I would understand why you haven't opened it. But Jesus on the other side of the door is saying, I just want to come back in and I want to, I I want to sit down and eat with you. Now in the scriptures, eating with Jesus always meant one of three things. Eating in the scriptures always meant one of three things. In Jewish culture, eating always meant one of three things. And I'm telling you, all three of these things are really good. And what Jesus is saying when he's knocking on the door is like, open it up because first, when I sit down and eat with you, it is. Is going to restore the lost energy. And so if you've grown dormant, if you have just like crept into complacency and your faith is dead, let me back in and like eat of the goodness of my love and my presence and your energy is going to get filled back up and your passion and your zeal for me will return. Let him me. The second reason, the second reason you would eat in Jewish culture that they ate in the scripture is that the meal always represented relationship. And so Jesus is knocking on the door and he's like, hey, remember me? We used to be in such close friendship. You would tell me everything. And every time you had a problem, we would sit down and and we would converse through it. And remember, every single time that we had conversation, I was always there to help, not to hurt you. Why did we stop talking? Why did you stop talking? And he's saying, open up the door, because we just got to have a conversation. You know, like sometimes when you have to have a conversation with somebody, you just keep putting it off, and there's this weird thing between you and that person, and so then the gap just keeps getting wider and wider and wider and wider. Some of you, that's how you're experiencing it with Christ, and in the natural, when you finally have that conversation with that person, the gap goes, whoo! And Jesus is saying, let's just have the conversation. Like, friend, you're still caught up on your sin. And Jesus is like, can we just have the conversation where I remind you that I already forgave you and that I'm past it and I just need you to get past it? Like, let's just have the conversation. Jesus is like, hey, can we just have the conversation where I remind you that I still love you, that I still have a plan for you, that I'm still working, that there's still good to be had, that I haven't forgot about you, that my promises are still real. Like, let me back in. He's just like knocking. The third thing that eating always meant in Jewish culture Celebration. Celebration. Now I ask you, how counter is this to the normal message of religion that tells the complacent Christian or the, the non-Christian that God wants to come in and he wants to beat you into submission. No, Jesus is saying to the Christian who has slept, uh, um, that has snuck into uh, complacency, Jesus is saying to that Christian, let me back in so that you and I can celebrate. Celebrate what? Celebrate the fact that Jesus already did all of the work for your salvation on the cross. How about that one? Celebrate the fact that in the goodness of Christ, he can work out all things together for your good. How about that one? Celebrate the fact that because Jesus was forsaken on the cross, you and I can always be in relationship with the Father. How about uh, celebrating the fact that in Christ we don't have to worry because he's always going to take care of our needs. Jesus is like, let me back in. We've got like a celebration. We've got a party. I know you're stagnant right now, but you're going to uh, eat of my presence and of my love, and we're going to rekindle relationship, and then we're going to celebrate where it is that you're going. And my friend, if you have have if you have found yourself in this place, where the zeal of your faith is dead, where 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 your heart no longer beats over the beauty of the gospel. Where whether if you're in church or not doesn't matter, but if you miss the game, it does. Where you would say, man, if I lost my money, I'd be heartbroken, but if I lost my Bible, I wouldn't care. where you wear around an identity that in a minute, in a second, could be stripped from you, but have forgotten the eternal identity of Christ. If you have found yourself in any of those places, he is knocking, let him back in. And if you don't understand the level of fervor I plea with you, let him back in. Because I don't think you're seeing things correctly. Jesus ends it like this. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is how Jesus ends the seven letters to the seven churches. I think what Jesus has taken us, the universal church, each specific church, and each specific Christian is through a progression of Christianity from the beginning at the first letter letter, to the very end here. And like I told you last week, in week six of the letters, it kind of peaks where God says, man, I have a great opportunity for you. That's what he spoke last week. And then in week seven, I told you, they like kind of come down the mountain because it's normal and you slip into complacency. But Jesus doesn't want to leave the Christian or the church in the state of complacency. So he says, if you find yourself there, repent, let me back in because you and I have some co-reigning to do. Because you and I, have some kingdom building to do. And I think what Jesus would do is he would take the thing that brought us into complacency, redeem it on the other side. He would take the person who pursued wealth instead of character and say, hey, you won with wealth, but now on the other side of this thing, you're going to become the most generous person and I'm going to do incredible things through you. I think Jesus would say to the person who has taken on the false identity, you're going to come back and you're going to let me back in. And then I'm going to use the false identity that you carried to help point that out to other people who are carrying the same one. We've got some co-reigning to do. And I think Jesus would say to the person who began to see all of life through their own perspective, that when you walk back through this, the repentance and the return to relationship around the table, eating with Jesus, he's going to say, I'm going to give you eyes to see things that you've never seen. I'm going to let you see into people's hurts and how you can help them. I'm going to let you see into the things that I'm doing that you can't see with the natural eye, but I'm going to give you a spiritual eye to see them. I'm going to see how things in your past that you thought were completely wasted were actually things that I am now using in your presence because he has co-reigning to do with you. Open up the door and let him back in. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.